Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Forum, where we bring you all the latest news, headlines, and analysis from around the world of sports. Today is February 11th, 2020, and my name is Michael Murray, and we have a ton of new material to get to on today's episode. I'm joined always by my good friend and co-host, Ethan Looper. Mr. Looper, how are we today on this Tuesday evening? Doing good, Michael. I got, uh, I got my first article published um, this week. And um, I'm already regretting not grabbing a cup of coffee before we started recording. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, first of all, congratulations on on the first part there on, on the article. And second of all, completely agree with you about the coffee. Um, you know, last week we were not able to get an episode out on Thursday like we normally do. Had some scheduling conflicts that prevented that. And boy, did we have a big weekend. Um, in many, many regards, and we're going to get to all of that and then some on today's episode. So pretty much in the last, you know, I'd say three or four episodes, you know, we've been talking about rumors about this trade happening, about this trade happening, and so on and so forth. Well, every trade that we've been talking about being rumored happened this past week, and we got to get into all the details. So we're going to start in the MLB um, for what seemed like months uh, the Mookie Betts rumors had been swirling. Uh, at first, it seemed he was going to get traded. Then, then people were saying he. Then he. The people were saying he wasn't. Then, then he was gonna again. It was just a, a seesaw between yes and no. And well, he finally, finally was. Um, he was traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, what originally was a three-team trade with the Twins. It originally, Mookie Betts and David Price were sent to the Angels. The Angels sent Kenta Maeda, their three-starter, to the Twins, and the Twins sent back uh, Brewstar Gratterall, if I'm saying that name right, a minor league pitcher, one of their best pitching prospects, to the Red Sox, and the Dodgers sent Alex Verdugo, their left-handed hitting outfielder, to the Red Sox as well. But that trade fell through. It was never officially reported by anybody from either team, and it was mostly just reported by the media, and it pretty much kind of fell through. And now, instead of that, the Twins still sent Maeda to the, or I'm sorry, the Dodgers still sent Maeda to the Twins, but that's a separate deal. But now Betts and Price are in LA, and the Dodgers sent back Verdugo, uh, Jeter Downs, who's a middle infield middle infield prospect, one of the top prospects in the Dodgers system. And a catcher by the name of Connor Wong, who is the, I want to say, he's in the top 50 in the MLB's overall prospects. I'm not sure where he ranks in the Dodgers system alone. Um, so I've said a lot. That's a lot to digest. Um, there was a lot, a lot of headlines flying around. It seemed like every couple hours, you know, there was a new development. Uh, so, Ethan, we'll go over to you now. Uh, you know, you're... Your your thoughts on this uh, on this blockbuster? Let me just take credit real quick for not only predicting that Mookie was going to the Dodgers, but also predicting that it was that a catching prospect was going to be involved in the deal. Very well done. I I I, I give you props for that because you did say. But wait, you but you didn't say you uh, you. Excuse me. You said a different catching prospect, correct? Yeah, I'd say Kiebe Ruiz. Okay. Well, still, 
that's that's still very impressive. I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot of prospects they could have picked from. So to be able to pick the position, I applaud you on that. So anyway, continue with your thoughts. So yeah, my first takeaway from the deal is that Jeter Downs is named after the great Derek Jeter, and not only that, but is a huge, huge Yankees fan. So. It's just nice to know that the the Yankees are still living in the Red Sox heads rent <laughs> and uh, no, but really it was kind of kind of the the Red Sox had to make a move. Their payrolls bloated already. They got under the tax, which you know, good for them. But you know, they finished third in the division last year, and. The Yankees and Rays only showed signs of getting better over the offseason. So knowing that the window was kind of closing, you can say we won our championship with this core and now we have to kind of get the books under control again and get some prospects who can really help us build towards the future. And I think they they did that. Yeah. Um, so obviously as a, as a baseball fan, I have – many thoughts on this, but as a Red Sox fan, I have even more. Um, first of all, like you said, um, if, if Jeter Downs does hit it big and Red Sox fans have to start rooting for a guy named Jeter, uh, that is going to be a little awkward. But um, anyway, get, getting on a serious note here, I think a lot of people, especially Red Sox fans, you know, they, they're, they look at the deal just up front and just say, wow, you know, we got fleeced. And you know, from a from a player from from a strictly player perspective, from the haul that the Dodgers gave us, yes, it was not the most fruitful deal for the Red Sox. But my argument to those people is that trading Mookie Betts was not necessarily the focal point of making this deal. The the, the reason this deal was made was because of David Price. You know, the Red Sox, like you said. You know, they, they, they knew they were entering a situation where their payroll was going to be screwed up and they were not going to have a lot of financial flexibility going forward. And the contract that David Price signed under David Dombrowski was not a good one. That was not Dombrowski's best move. So, you know, one of the ways you could fix that is to trade a guy like David Price. But no one's going to take David Price and that money just – just him, you know. No, no one's just going to take David Price alone and have to pay him that much. You have to put a piece together. You have to put a piece with him. That's where Mookie Betts comes in. And I think a lot of people also don't realize Mookie Betts was headed for free agency anyway. You know, I, I and 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 people like to bring up the quotes where he said, you know, Boston's my home and all this stuff. Well, if Boston was really your home, you would have accepted one of the contracts that they had offered you prior to this deal being made, but you didn't. So the, the you know. So the chances of him, you know, staying in Boston during free agency were very slim. So now you have a, so now you have a scenario where you can get rid of a lot of money, get rid of this price contract, and that's what the Red Sox did. And yes, I I I I I'm, excuse me, I'm not necessarily thrilled with the players they got back. I mean, I'm not disappointed because you know Jeter Downs has a ton of upside. Uh, Connor, I mean, I mean, obviously the Red Sox don't necessarily need a catcher right now. But Connor Wong has a lot of upside, you know. But going back to Jeter Downs, you know, as as hard as he's as he's trying, Dustin Pedroia is probably at the end of the road. And 
you know, some people are going to bring up Michael Chavis, yes, but he's probably going to have to play first base because, you know, the Red Sox did just bring back Mitch Moreland, but, but he's not there for the long haul anyway. So, you know, Jeter Downs presents this perfect fit, presents this perfect role, step right in, play second base when he's ready. So I, I'm not necessarily thrilled with it either, but at the end of the day, they got they, not not only did they get under the threshold, they got way under it. So now they have a ton of room to make some moves. Not necessarily this year, you know. They, 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 by no means are by no means is this year their year, but they got a lot of money to make a lot to make some moves going forward. And for a guy like Heim Bloom, their new GM. This move gets rid of everything bad that Dombrowski left. It, 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 it gets rid of the Dombrowski ghost forever. And now Heim Bloom has something that he never had in Tampa Bay, money. And when you think of what he did in Tampa Bay without a lot of money, I can only imagine what he's going to be able to pull off with the, with the financial flexibility he has now. So to wrap up all my thoughts, Yes, the player hall, not necessarily what I was expecting. But the logic and the reasoning behind it, I understand it. I'm very, very sad to see Mookie go. But at the end of the day, this, at the end of the day, this is something that had to be done, and they got it done, and now it's going to be really interesting to see how they treat this going forward. The other thing about that deal is – that no one really talked about is Alex Verdugo is still 23 years old. And before last season, there are, there are, there were rankings that had him in the top 20. I mean, he had, he had a war over three last year, hit damn near 300. Like not a scrub. That's not a scrub that they're bad. Absolutely. He's, he, he is going to be the right fielder for the Red Sox this year. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, you know he's a he's a power hitting le- he's a power hitting you know uh, power hitting lefty so you know he's he she he, he, he should he should he, he excuse me he should love playing in Fenway Park he should love playing in Yankee Stadium nine times a year you know love playing in Oriole Park so yeah I mean you know it, it like yeah exactly like you said this is no you know excuse me this is no scrub you know, coming in like, like this is a guy who can play and he's going to play and, and show what he's got. So I'm not, you know, I, obviously I, I, I expected a little more, maybe a little bit more, maybe another prospect or maybe another kind of MLB ready guy. Another uh, a pitcher would have been beautiful, but they got what they got. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see these guys play. I'm excited to watch the two prospects develop and who knows if they hit it big, then maybe this wasn't so so much of a so much of a, a fleece as people are describing. But the other thing to note that I find really interesting is not the Red Sox have all this financial flexibility. Who's to say they can't just bring Mookie back next year? Yeah, I could see that as a possibility, and it would be kind of in like an Aroldis Chapman situation. Exactly, it'd be the exact exact same situation. Yeah, uh, for anyone who doesn't remember, the Yankees at the deadline traded Aroldis Chapman one year when they weren't particularly competitive to the Cubs. He went, helped the Cubs bring back that World Series victory, and then he re-signed with the Yankees anyway, and now is is one of the dominant pieces in our bullpen. Right. Oh, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously, the circumstances here are a little bit different. I mean, obviously, Mookie Betts wasn't a wasn't a deadline 
move, but 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 the but the principle is still the same. You know, get rid of him for a year and then just bring him right back. And I could easily see that happening. Um, and I, I I mean I would love to see it happen. But I mean I'm regardless of what happens, I'm very very interested to see how they treat next off season with the money that they're going to have to spend. Because I because it you know. Because Heim Bloom is not David Dombrowski. You know, Dombrowski is just going to go out and throw $217 million at, um, at David Price. And he's going to throw 145 at Chris Sale like it's nothing. I'm interested to see if you know, how Heim Bloom you know, negotiates with a big free agent. You know, if he's willing to really throw one of those big deals out there. So it's really going to be interesting to see how the Red Sox treat, how the Red Sox treat their money going forward. Yeah, and that uh, that Chapman deal is how the Yankees picked up Glaber Torres, who is right. now one of the young players in baseball. So still some hope for the Red Sox. And I, I think that deal, as an objective sports fan, I don't think that deal is nearly as bad as a lot of the media and a lot of people around are chalking it up to be. So. Yeah, because because you know, like I said earlier, a lot of people are just looking at it from just the player's standpoint and going, "Oh my God, they got this guy, this guy, and this guy for a guy like Mookie Betts." Like that's that's terrible. But they're not, you know. But you don't think about the fact that you just got rid of so much, you know, wasted money in David Price. And and you know, I'm saying all this about David Price. I am very grateful for everything he did in Boston. You know, he overcame his postseason demons. In 2018, and 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 pitched phenomenally in both the ALCS and World Series. Very grateful for David Price, but any Red Sox fan knows as good as he was that one year, he's not worth seven years, 217 million dollars. So, I, going back to what I was saying, a lot of people are just looking at it from a player standpoint. But when you really think back and think about the financial flexibility that you had, that, that you're getting, it's it, it's really positive. So David Price is a guy who's also not like a scrub. He had a war over one point. He had one point eight war last year. He went seven and five, four two eight ERA, which aren't great numbers. But he's only a year removed from being sixteen and seven with a three five eight ERA. So this is a guy who the Dodgers can actually use as, as a guy in the rotation during the postseason. So, yeah, he's not on the most team-friendly deal, but right now the Dodgers aren't that concerned about the luxury tax, and being able to bring in a guy who can at least help the rotation in some way, shape, or form, that's that's a that's a good move. Yeah, he's not and, just, yeah well, and, it, you know, Thinking of it from a Dodgers standpoint, you know, if you're the Dodgers and you've been through, you know, losing the World Series in 17, losing it in 18, being the absolute perennial powerhouse of the National League and losing in the division series last season, you're like, you're like, all right, screw this. I'm done with this. Let's just go load up and get everybody. And you're not afraid to add a guy like David Price if you have to pay him $48 million. At this point, it doesn't matter whatever, whatsoever. So you're exactly right. There's no, no, absolutely no fault on the Dodgers here. Um, and I, I really can't see a, a scenario where they are not the class of the National League this year with that lineup 
and sticking Price, pretty much sticking Price right in the rotation where Kenta Maeda would be anyway. So, you know, obviously look out for the Dodgers. Um, and for the Red Sox, you know, I mean, obviously this is not going to be their year. Um, but, it, you know, I, I say it's not going to be their year, but like, but it, but, but, but they're not going to be a team, you know, like the Orioles that's going to go 57 and, and 100 and whatever, you know. That, you know, I, I, I still definitely see them finishing over 500, but obviously with, like you said, the Rays, obviously still very good. The Yankees, of course, loaded up. And, and even the team like the Blue Jays, you know, with all their with all their young guys getting a, now going to get a full season, you know, who knows what they'll do. So, I mean, obviously they're going to have to compete, but, I, I, but, but obviously not their year. So that... So, so that's the Mookie Betts trade. And a, a quick little side note about the Red Sox. I, I always found it funny that all these rumors were happening with them and that while they didn't have a manager. Um, but that changed today. Um, they officially announced Ron Renneke, who had been their bench coach under Alex Cora, as their new uh, – or I actually, I, I, I believe they announced him as the interim manager. Um, so he will be leading – leading the Sox going forward. Um, Ron Reddicke used to manage the Brewers way back. Um, not not a bad manager whatsoever. Uh, you know, kind of a veteran guy. Just, I think a good pick just to kind of keep him focused um, throughout the uh, – just kind of throughout this whole kind of scandal that's surrounding them. And it's I think it's interesting they announced him as interim manager because, you know, with, with, the, with the most recent reports coming out in Houston – it kind of seems like Alex Cora is not as guilty as people thought he was. Um, we can get into that real quick if you want, E, but um, in some recent reports, it was said that an, an intern of the Houston Astros actually came to the GM, Jeff Moonhow, or former GM, with an, with an Excel spreadsheet that had pretty much developed like this algorithm to decode the signs and whatever, and the front office really kind of put it in motion. And then another guy that's being now in the news is Carlos Beltran. He was really the guy. He was organizing the trash cans. He was the, the he was really the master, mastermind behind it. So it, it's starting to seem like Alex Cora is a little less innocent than people perceived him to be. So that'll be interesting to see maybe if the Red Sox maybe try and bring him back after next year. But, of course, they still have to find out what his penalty is going to be um, as well. Yeah, Go ahead. I, I think that's I think that's funny because I don't know what the validity of those rumors are. Just because I think last episode, I believe it was, we went over some numbers of the some of the Astros hitters in 2017 during the playoffs, and Carlos. Beltram was actually one of the only players on that team that hit worse at home than on the road. So that those numbers would suggest that he probably didn't know anything because, I mean, you'd think that if he knew what pitch was coming more often than not, he would have fucking hit it. Yeah, a, a fair point. But I, but I, I am just, I'm, I'm just, I'm. I haven't really looked into it. I've I've just I'm I'm saying that off of of off of um 
like Bleacher Report headlines that have been showing up on my phone. I haven't really looked into it too much. I I, I have looked into the to the whole intern with the Excel spreadsheet. That seems to be very true. But as far as the Beltron stuff, that's more of just speculation right now. I ha- I haven't uh, haven't taken the time yet to really look into those reports. So anyway, let's move on from the MLB. We're, we are not here to talk about the Astros again. So we, Mookie Betts is officially a Dodger. So let's move on now to the NBA. So last week was, of course, the NBA trade deadline. And as we got close to it, it really didn't seem like there was going to be much going on. But, oh, my goodness, did they start flying in um, towards the end. Um, I mean, we have an absolute ton to get to. But the first one we'll get to and talk about is the Clint Capella 14 mega deal. Um, so if you have a notebook and a pen, uh, I would I would start writing down. So here we go. So Atlanta received Clint Capella from the Rockets and Nene, the other uh, big man from also from Houston, right? Yeah. Yes, he was. He's still on Houston. Uh, yeah, the last I can remember, Nene was still on Houston. Yeah, he's a. He's, I'm seeing him. He was on the Wizards. I don't. I don't I'm going to say he's probably still on. I don't know. So so Atlanta gets those two. Denver gets Kaida Bates-Diop, Gerald Green, Shabazz Napier, who they then traded to the Wizards, Noah Vonley, and Houston's 2021st. The Rockets got Jordan Bell, Robert Covington, and somehow, or they got Golden State's 2024 second from the Hawks, because the Hawks had it. And then lastly, the Minnesota Timberwolves got Malik Beasley, Juan Hernan Gomez, Evan Turner, Jared Vanderbilt, and Brooklyn's 2021st that was owned by one of those other teams, which is lottery protected. So obviously there's a lot of names in there that don't really mean much. I mean, some of them are just kind of, you know, contract dumps and, you know, expiring contracts. But obviously the big name in the deal is Clint Capella, and he is now a member of the Hawks. So the first thing that stuck out to most people is that the Rockets officially do not have anyone that can classify as a center. Um, they are 150% committed to small ball. Um, so, E, b- 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 um, before we get into all that, uh, your, your thoughts on this absolute mega swap? It's, it's kind of a lot to pick apart and piece together again with all the pieces moving around. But uh, the, the couple things that jumped out to me were that Clint Capella is, is a great piece for the Hawks because he's on their timeline. He's another young player to fit in with Trey Young and John Collins and Herter and who have you. That's that young core they have over there. The Rockets got a good Three and D guy Covington. They got Jordan Bell, who they traded. Away. I thought that was a great pickup for the Rockets, but then they traded him away, so that was a little bit confusing. But the Rockets can really make this work, as evidenced by the game right after this happened against the Lakers. They beat him by ten. Uh, PJ Tucker played some great defense on Anthony Davis, who everyone was concerned about taking over the game because Houston didn't have a center and. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see where this team goes. It's it's really experimental. And, you know, they've been saying in the NBA for a while that they're like, quote unquote, phasing the big man out of the game or or that the big, you know, even that the big men have to be more skilled now. 
but they're like, fuck it, like let's get another wing type who, who's just kind of tall, and, and uh, that's that's fine. Yeah, and I guess we're I guess we're seeing how that actually is going to work out. Yeah, and you know you bring up a great point that that game against the Lakers. I was watching that game going, you know, and, it, and watching that game, it really kind of hit me. You know, I, I said, you know, if it if if there's any team in the NBA that is eight that it, 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 excuse me. If there's any team in the NBA that's going to be able to pull off a small ball lineup like they do, it's going to be the Rockets. Like I, I see no other team in the league being able to do, to be being able to do something like this. So that's a great point. And obviously, like you said, I love this move for the Hawks. Um, you know that young core is you know exactly the type of fit for Clint Capella. You know, he's obviously he's still very young, but compared to some of those guys, he's the veteran almost. So he can step in, fill that paint, run the pick and roll with Trey Young, uh, Kevin Herter as well. You know, kind of mentor John Collins a little bit down low. Uh, I really, really like this move for the Hawks. I mean, it's obviously not going to turn them around this season, but you give them another year with the draft, and you know, you give them the rest of this year to kind of mesh. I really, really like the Hawks going forward um just kind of looking at the whole deal uh gerald green to denver uh not a bad move either uh i saw i i like that too and you know going with the rockets first round pick yep yeah you know yeah people i i think people for almost people kind of forget about denver i think sometimes um i mean i think for us maybe it's because their game start at 10 o'clock at night but um I think some people kind of kind of forget about Denver, and in reality, you know, they're they're right up at the top there, the Western Conference. And I think kind of adding a veteran guy like Gerald Green, uh, who's still got some athleticism, can shoot the three ball, uh, just another kind of a, a more veteran presence. Him and uh, him and Paul Millsap. Um, yeah, that guy Gerald Gerald Green can put the ball in the bucket. Yeah, not, not a bad move whatsoever. And then you know, like I said, the Rockets. I think if you're going to go for a small ball lineup, you know, I think Robert Covington is a good guy to have down low with P.J. Tucker. And now the Rockets have, I think, the dream scenario, which is where every pretty much everyone on their team can shoot the three. Westbrook, yeah. Harden, House, Tucker, Covington, Austin Rivers, um, Eric Gordon. Uh, who did I miss? Just an army of nameless fucking three and D guys. Yeah, like exactly. That's, like, yes, the Rockets are a three and D team right now. Yeah, <laughs> and it's gonna be like you said. It's gonna be really, really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how that plays out in a seven game series. Because you know, like you said, you know, PJ Tucker did a great job against Anthony Davis in. In the in the next in the in, in in their next game against LA, but that's one night, you know. It, it, it you know, I'll, I, and 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 excuse me, I'll 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 pose this as a question. Actually, you know, do you think that that style against a team like the Lakers, let's say, you do you think that can hold up in a seven game series? I'm gonna say probably not. See, I, the I thing about agree. the Rockets, the Rockets rely so much on the three ball. It, we saw it against the Warriors that one year when they took them to seven. I know they didn't have Chris Paul for game seven, but you can go hot on any given night, but you can go cold on any given night. 
And the thing about shooters is, like, guys like, you know, like your your Kyle Korvers or your your JJ Reddicks of the league. Like, when you have a sh- guy who's a shooter and he's not shooting it well, that's that's a that's a useless bench spot. Like a lot of those guys, if they're not stroking it, they're not going. You know, that's and that's that's what we see with Houston. That's what we've seen with them over the past couple of years. But if there's any one player in the league that could make this whole thing work, it it might be PJ Tucker. Like PJ Tucker is the absolute ideal in this situation for the Rockets. Like there's no guy. I mean, obviously outside of like, oh, if they had Giannis, obviously they'd be better. Like, yeah, no shit, but, like... <laughs> like right, yeah, of course. In, ter- in terms of, like, realistic options for, like, a role player that could fill the Houston Rockets' needs, like, P.J. Tucker is is number one because he can, he can guard someone anywhere on the floor. Obviously, we were already talking about he could hit the three ball. And uh, so, you know, he's, he's the one guy that on that team that I'm going to say, all right, we got Jokic tonight. Put PJ Tucker on him. We got we got Anthony Davis tonight. Put PJ Tucker on him. Like anyone in the league, like that's that's just the guy you want out there. If you if you don't have a true center, yeah. Um, but going back going back to what you said or the question I, I asked about the seven game series, I, I I really don't think it could hold up because yes, you're exactly right. You know, if I don't have a center, you know, PJ Tucker is the guy I want on my big man. But a guy like Anthony Davis. A guy like Nikola Jokic, even a guy like uh, Stephen Adams, say for the Thunder, or who's another big man in in the West, um, but whatever the points are made. Anyway, you know guys like that. Go Bear. Go Bear. Thank you. There, there's no there's there's no way a guy like Anthony Davis lets a guy like PJ Tucker shut him down. You know for 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 five or six games. I I, I just don't see it happening. Um, and then the other thing, the other thing about the have not having a center is if you've got a series against the Lakers and one of you know, like say the second round, if you're the Rockets, and you've got LeBron, you know, driving down the lane, who's going to rotate? Right. That's another great point. So you don't. So there's there's that element of you're not going to body up a big man in the post, and you might not have as much potential to. Uh, you contest drives at the rim. Yeah, and that actually brings up a really interesting point. You know, if you watch e- even in even in college basketball, this is this is the case. If there's a if, if if a team has a really effective big man, you know, a guy like Jokic or a guy like Davis, just his presence in the paint deters guards from 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 driving and going up strong. You know, it, it forces them into step backs, into fadeaways you know, or, or into, like, weak runners, you know, falling out of bounds. So just and, – and that's just the presence, you know, knowing he's there. Well, the – yeah, well, it, and like you said, you know, the Rockets don't have that anymore. So if I'm LeBron and I know the only person in my way is P.J. Tucker or Robert Covington, yeah, I'm going to go pretty hard at the rim. But when Clint Capella was there, now I'm a little hesitant because I don't want my shot to get sent to the sixth row. So that's a very, a very good point you make there. You know, just kind of not even, you know, we always refer to, you know, skilled big men as, as post-presences. And there is no post-presence now in Houston. So that that's another reason why I just don't see this holding up in a playoff series. 
But I, I'm going to credit the Houston Rockets for giving this a try. I mean, yes, it's absolutely. something. It's something that the NBA is is really going through an experimental period. Like there, like the the whole thing of like the hypothetical: Would you rather have your open mid range, or would you rather have your your lightly contested three ball, or would you rather have you know, be able to get a couple layups a night from a big guy, or would you rather take your shot at another guy who can who can put the ball in the bucket from range and, and potentially because we know from from the Warriors dynasty or or any team over you know across the league the the three point kind of the rate of the shot being taken from three is going up and obviously you know anyone can tell you three points is worth more than two points. that's gonna sound out of my mouth but like but the rockets are like well if we can get a lot of chunks of three no one's gonna catch us and there's might be validity to that and on the other end of of the spectrum then so yeah if they're if they're against steven adams yeah maybe they're not going to stop him in the post but Steven Adams is is he you know is he going to guard Robert Covington on the perimeter? Hell no! Like <laughs> yeah, like, and that oh. and you know another good point. You know that's where they have the advantage is on the perimeter. So if I'm being guarded by Nikola Jokic or Steven Adams and I'm Robert Covington, I'm taking him on the perimeter. I'm even setting a pick and roll because you know Covington can handle that. So that's where I'm going to get them is by literally going five out. And seeing what happens off the dribble, and it might be ugly basketball to watch, but it could be effective. So, really, really interesting. Like you said, that the Rockets are finally, you know, that the Rockets are willing to kind of go for it and experiment with this, and it's going to be really, really interesting to to see how that plays out. So, moving on to uh, more trades, 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 trades. I think that might be the title of of this episode as I, as I say that. Um, so the other, one of the other big, big deals that went down was D'Angelo Russell. Um, there have been numerous rumors that he was on his way out of Golden State and he finally was sent to Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota got him, Amari Spellman, and Jacob Evans. And in return, they sent Golden State Andrew Wiggins, a protected 2021 first and a 2021 second. What do you got about this deal? So, I, I kind of like this deal on both ends for different reasons. So, starting with the Warriors, I think the Warriors won this trade. I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush there. I do think the Warriors won this trade because Wiggins has been a volume shooter his entire career. He's been putting up like 20, 22 a night, but not on good efficiency. You know he's, but he he still shows the promise, and so Wiggins is is what he's like twenty four I think at this point, and he's your ultimate reclamation guy. Like the change of scenery, the you know playing with guys like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Like who better to learn from from like a wing guy than Clay Thompson, and and who better to set you up for open potential open shots than Steph Curry. You know, like, so so Wiggins, we might see a huge resurgence in his career. The Warriors pick this year is, I think they have the worst record in the league. So they're set to pick within the top three anyway. 
And now you get the top three protected Timberwolves pick, which could still be in the top ten. So you have a situation where you have a championship-level core in Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, at a very talented young player who shows a lot of promise already in Wiggins. And now you've got two probably top ten guys walking through the door next year. And all of a sudden, we're looking at, holy shit, Golden State's back. Yeah, um... A lot, a lot of good points there that I, that I, I, that I actually agree with. You know, I think a lot of people put the wrong label out of, uh, put the wrong label on Andrew Wiggins coming out of Kansas. Um, he, as as good of a scorer as he is, you know, I mean, I, I, I actually I shouldn't even say that. I mean, but as 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 well as he, you know, as like you said, averaging twenty plus or whatever. He's not meant to be the guy in your offense. He's not meant to be the focal point. And Minnesota saw him as that and tried to make him that, and it just didn't fit, which is why he's now perceived as you know a huge draft bust and just a completely overrated player. But like you said, now he's going to play in Golden State, where he has you know, or he's going to have Steph Curry. Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Those guys are meant to be the guys. You know, Steph and Clay are the guys on that in that offense. So now he kind of gets to be more of a plan B option in the offensive system. And I think that's more of a better fit for him, the way he's set up. You know, he's not gonna take he's not gonna be taking as many shots. His shots are gonna be, you know, he, he he's he, he's not gonna have to force as much. Um so I like I I I I agree with what you said, you know, about that. That I think this is not. I think this is a second, a second chance here for Andrew Wiggins to really kind of prove himself to the rest of the league and to all his critics. But I still think that I, I still think that Minnesota won this deal because, you know, now that you have, you know, you, I, I said it, I, I may not have said it on the pod, but I've said it to people before. Um, you know, the, 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 excuse me. This is becoming a league where, you know, everyone has their duos. You know what I mean? You know, the, the Celtics have Kemba and Tatum. The Nets are going to have Kyrie and KD. The Lakers have LeBron and AD. The Clippers have Paul George and Kawhi. The, the you know, the the list goes on and on. Now the and now, now the Timberwolves have their pair. They have D'Angelo Russell and they have. Um, and they have Carl Anthony Towns, and now they're going to be able to build around that, because as you know, as as much as you can build around Carl Anthony Towns, you know, having that extra guy, being able to build around two guys is obviously you know two is better than one, duh. But you know that's basically what this comes down to, um, and and I think those guys running the pick and roll together, the pick and pop, whatever you whatever it may be, I think that's really going to be a good fit for the Timberwolves, and it's going to be interesting to see who they draft now going forward because I think now they're in the market for for a 3-4 kind of wing guy, a, you know, a 3 and D guy, who, you know, maybe a more, more more of a stretch big that can kind of space the floor out. So it's going to be interesting to see where the, where the Timberwolves go from here. Um, I'm definitely excited to, to see that. And then my other thought was, I actually, I'm, I'm actually kind of a little bummed out about this deal because I was kind of excited, a little intrigued to see how the Warriors played when Clay and Steph and D'Lo were all healthy. I was kind of interested to see how that, how that would play out, but uh, all for naught. Yeah, um, but I think, 
I think that Wiggins is definitely a cleaner fit just because he can play the three. Like right. No. Yeah. That's no, already. Yes, already from a, one, yeah. Go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry, Steph is already comfortable at the one and been playing there for an absolute dynasty. Clay is already comfortable at the two, been playing there for a dynasty. And now you've got now you've got um a guy who can spot in at the three instead of I mean, I would I would imagine if you had Steph, Clay, and D you'd need you'd keep Steph at the one, you'd put D at the two, and you'd put Thompson at the three. And so now you're displacing Clay Thompson who's already like maybe the best in his position at the le- in the league and and you're you're putting him somewhere he might not be as comfortable. So I think that having Wiggins and him being able to play the 3 which D'Angelo Russell I would for sure not be comfortable mm-hmm. with at the 3 that's that's just it just fits better for the team, I think. But the thing for Minnesota is D'Angelo Russell, Cat, and Devin Booker are very good friends, and that's well documented. And so now we're looking like is Minnesota planning a big three at some point? Is Devin Booker going to come over? He's on contract, I believe, until twenty twenty three. But I mean, we we see the stars demand trades all the time. I mean, I, I have no. I have no doubt in my mind that Anthony Davis wanted to go to L.A. last year. Right. And he made that happen by the offseason. And, and Devin Booker is, I would have to say, one of one of the Anthony Davis kind of level guys in the league. Like, he's a young player, the, ba- the absolute nucleus of his franchise. He's on a big deal, and, uh, and they view him as the future. But, he's, but that means that they're going to build around him and he has that much power within you know the organization that if he wants out, it's over. He's, he's getting out. And he's going exactly where he wants to. they got to make exactly. it happen. So if he wants to, you know, if, if, they, if the Timberwolves are like, it's going to happen in, in Minnesota or, or it's going to happen in, in Phoenix, they're gonna. They're saying hey, we're gonna make sure it's happening in Minnesota because now we've got two of the three pieces that that probably want to be together. Yeah, that and that's a really good point. Um, that'll be really really interesting to see how that goes because, like you said, you know Booker is the nucleus of the Suns, but I mean, how much have they really done to build around him? Like they said they were gonna, not really too too much there, if you ask me. But anyway. Um, yeah, you you make a good point. You know, Wiggins is a better fit for the Warriors system, um, and you're exactly right. You know, if 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 D'Lo, Steph, and Clay were all healthy, I think they'd put D'Lo at the two. And D'Lo's not a two guard; he's a point guard, and now he's going to be able to run that with Cat in Minnesota. So definitely, definitely going to be some more exciting times uh, for the Timberwolves going forward. So another deal that went down. I mean, we. I mean, theoretically, we. Theoretically, we can easily make this podcast three and a half hours long, but we're not going to do that because we know no one wants to listen to a three and a half hour podcast. But let's go on to the Andre Drummond trade. Um, Drummond was rumored to a couple teams. There's rumored the Celtics might be looking at him. Uh, he ended up in Cleveland, um, and Cleveland sent Detroit Brandon Knight, John Henson, who I'm so bummed did not get trade traded to the New York Knicks. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to the last episode. And a 2023 second round pick. 
E, this trade makes absolutely no sense to me from either standpoint. What do you got? I would have to agree with you. And I, I would on record on this podcast saying that Drummond to the Celtics would be a bad idea for them. But seeing that the, the Cavs gave up a bag of like a half eaten bag of chips for Andre Drummond, um, I, you know, I'm a Celtics fan. I'm like kicking the wall about this. Like, like his Andre Drummond would have been such a great fit in Boston. Just seamless. But I was like, oh, yeah, they'll probably have to give up like Jalen Brown and like some firsts for him. So there's no way that's going to be worth it. Yeah. But they gave John Henson, who's most famous for, well, nothing. He averages like five points a game. He's 29 years old. There's not a lot down the road for John Henson. No offense to John Henson. Once again, we love John Henson. Yes, on we, we, we're all for John Henson. We have ripped him apart um, in in the uh, in the most recent episodes, but you know, all, all not, nothing but respect for him. Um, he's averaging way more points than we would in the NBA. So anyway, go ahead. And uh, the other pieces they got were a second round pick, which is the lesser of Cleveland's or Golden State's. And um, Brandon Knight, who's most famous for being on the wrong end of the biggest alley-oop in history from, from DeAndre Jordan. Like, like none of those pieces I'm looking at and saying, like, yeah, like, that's a good piece that I can see the, the Pistons using to leverage into better, a better future for the franchise. And they gave away a guy in Andre Drummond who's the leading rebounder in the entire league. It's 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 head scratching at best. Like, and then so the, the Pistons got that package of whatever you want to call it, and the Cavs got Andre Drummond, who also really doesn't seem to fit their timeline. So I, I it's it's the mix of Garland and Sexton on the Cavs is all was already weird to me. Like those two players going together, like they're good. one of them's going to get traded, I think, at some point. And then adding Drummond to all this craziness with Kevin Love probably wanting to be out, it doesn't doesn't really scream. We know what we're doing from the, from the Cavs. The I mean, the the best I can say is now they have a good piece that they got for absolutely nothing that they can flip, say, next year at the deadline or whatever they want to do with them. I mean, having – I mean, I'd say that the Cavs for sure won this deal. But the the, the head-scratcher the head comes at, like, like why? Yeah. Why? Um, I, mean, I mean, acquiring – I'm not going to fault the Cleveland Cavaliers for this trade. I mean, they acquired talent for below market price and – like good that's that's never a bad thing they can they can for sure flip them down the line and and look for a team like the celtics to be paying the Cavs a lot more than john henson brandon knight and a 2023 second yeah um so basically you know if you if you look at this like the through terms of the celtics like you know this is like brad wanamaker daniel tice and a and a second round pick for Andre Drummond. Like, that's what it would have taken to get Andre Drummond from, from the Pistons, which is very, very annoying. Um, and, like, I have this um, – when, whenever I play fantasy football, 
and I want to make a trade with, with, with a guy in my league, um, I always start by offering him a really, really stupid deal that like he shouldn't accept just to see if he'll like bite or not, which usually gets declined, and then we actually do business. Well, this is that stupid deal. And the Pistons said yes, and the Cavs were like, what? Oh, really? Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, sure. Like, like, like that is how I read the situation. And if I'm the Cavs, yes, it doesn't necessarily fit where they're headed. But if I throw out Brandon Knight, John Henson, and a 20-23 second for a guy like Andre Drummond and the other team says yes, I mean, I can't not do that. I mean, like you said, this is the leading rebounder in the NBA. It never hurts to have the re- leading rebounder in the NBA on your team, whether you're a perennial powerhouse or a struggling rebuilding team like the the Cavs. So, yeah, like you said, now they have a piece that they can you know, build around a little bit, you know, add some pieces to it. So it doesn't necessarily make sense either way for both teams, especially not for the Pistons. I really – I actually read something that when Drummond heard the news, he thought like someone was playing a joke on him. Like that's how insane – this whole package was, but for the Cavs, I, I, I think it was just you know, you know something you know where you're not giving up anything you're you're married to, you're not giving up anything drastic, and you're getting the NBA's leading rebounder. So why the hell not? Who's only twenty six? Drummond. Who's only, Drum- only twenty six? Exactly. So yeah, he's not even like like theoretically, he's not even in his prime yet. That's that's insane to me. That, that Detroit would even like entertain this. Like, say if you're if you were the the Celtics GM or any team that needs a big man, you're looking at this and you're like, like, really, like, like the Hawks did that whole Capella deal, and they're like, like, why wouldn't we have just gotten Drummond? Like, it's 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 a head scratcher. It's what I keep saying. I think I keep repeating it, but it's just the best I can offer. I. <laughs> Yeah, no. There's there's not much else to say. John Henson on the Knicks. Yeah, and I I would have loved John Henson on the Knicks, um, because you know, obviously, to 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 the Knicks, that would have been a huge deal for them. Um, uh, So I'm kind of bummed about that. And you know, shout out to the Knicks. Uh, We are not going to talk about them today. They've stayed out of the headlines. Um, Good job, Knicks. I mean, they 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 traded Marcus Morris. Yes, yes, they yes they did trade Marcus Morris. Before we get to the Morris deal, let's get to the another. Uh, I, I'd say probably bigger deal, um, the Andre Iguodala move. Uh, Iguodala is now regarded by many people as one of the biggest uh, jerks, for lack of a better term, uh, in the NBA. Uh, he was pretty much pulling an Anthony Davis sword and just refusing to play for Memphis. So the Memphis Grizzlies traded him to the Miami Heat along with Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill and in return sent back Justice Winslow, James Johnson, Dion Waiters, who is now a free agent because they waived him, and Gorgie Dang. Um, and in addition to that, the Heat, as soon as they got Iguodala, signed him to a two-year $30 million contract. Um, e, we'll start with you. As always, what do you got? So I I kind of can't believe how much the Heat ended up having to give up for Iggy, Jay Crowder, and Solomon Hill. Like Justice Winslow is a he's a good young player. Dion Waiters can put the ball in the bucket. Like, like these aren't like terrible kind of guys to have on your franchise. 
but Iguodala clearly wanted out, and so good good thing for the uh, for the Grizzlies to actually get a good package back. The Pistons should take notes. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm 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 not sure who the Pistons GM is by name, but uh, yeah, they got to fire that guy. Yeah, I, I would if, if I would be surprised. If this 2023 20, second round pick ends up being the next coming of, I don't even know what, like what player came out of like the middle of the second round and ended up being like I have no time. idea. And to answer our question, uh, the inter- it, the general manager for the Pistons is actually an interim g- general manager. His name's Ed Stefanski. Oh, God, that's he's not going to be. He's there for he's for sure an interim. Because there's, they're hiring, they're firing his ass and hiring someone else. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So clearly he's not Ed Stefanski is not made to be a real general manager anytime soon. But anyway, going back to the Heat, um, I was a little disappointed in Memphis because I would have loved to see them get another pick, you know, maybe, maybe a first rounder or, or even or even a second rounder out of this. Because um, I think they need that a little bit more. But like you said, Justice Winslow um, is a very, very capable player. Uh, he, can, he, he can space the floor, hit the three, but he can also get inside and, and get on the boards. Um, Playmaker. Deion Waiters, they, they waved, the Grizzlies waved him, and he's been rumored now to the Lakers. Uh, I think that'd be an excellent fit. Uh, he's a great two guard, can play, can, play, can play the three a little. He's got a little size to him. Um, you know, like Waiters Island is what it used to be known as. Um, I think this would be a great compliment to guys like Danny Green and, uh, you know, Kuzma and Caruso in that backcourt. So I think that'd be a great fit for Deion Waiters. But for the Heat, I also think it's a great move because when you look at the core of that team, you, know, you got Kendrick Nunn, Bam Adebayo, um, and Jimmy Butler. You know, those are, I mean, Butler isn't necessarily young, but he's not old either. So it really really sticks kind of a veteran presence in that locker room, which is exactly what they need because they are right at the top of the East. And, you know, you worry with a young core like that, that they're going to maybe, you know, lose focus or just kind of, you know, fizzle, fizzle away at the end of the year. I think having that veteran presence like Iggy, who's now actually going to want to play, um, is going to have, excuse me, is going to pay dividends for them going forward. Yeah, and those those two veteran guys they have are two of the most like fiercest competitors in the league. Yep. You know, Jimmy Butler probably made Carl Anthony Towns cry at least once, and Iguodala's a Finals MVP. And then you got you get guys like Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill who can really contribute in the front court. And you're saying all of a sudden like, wow, like the Heat can make a push. Good for them. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the 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 Heat are definitely a team to watch out for, um, especially now because like you know with Kendrick Nunn and Bam Adebayo, really I think kind of accelerating their their sort of development path. I think uh, <clears throat> really going to be a fun team to watch. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Anyway, so the last deal we'll get to here, um, which was not not as a Big of a blockbuster as as the three we just discussed, as the four we just discussed, but I think really, really effective and a really good get for one team was the Marcus Morris deal that we mentioned a few minutes ago. So the LA Clippers got Marcus Morris 
from the Knicks, and they got Isaiah Thomas from the Washington Wizards. The Knicks got Maurice Harkless, a 2021st, and a second-round pick, and the Wizards got Jerome Robinson. Um, so good job, Knicks. Got a first-round pick. Um, you know, it's looking like their their own pick is going to be up towards the top, so it would be nice to have an, another one there on the back burner towards the end, which I imagine is where it's going to be, seeing how it's coming from the Clippers. Um, but for the Clippers, this is an excellent, excellent, excellent move. Uh, Marcus Morris, um, you know, I, 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 was, I was sad to see him go from the Celtics because he, he just does it all. He, he plays defense. He'll get in on the boards. He's not afraid to guard the big men. He can shoot the three. He can hit the mid-range. He can post up. Um, and he's just an absolute competitor on the floor. You know, everything you want uh, from a guy, you know, Marcus Morris has it. Um, and I think to put him down there with Montrez Harrell and you know Kawhi and PG, uh, I, I think it's a match made in heaven. Just another guy to space the floor, a guy to get on the boards with Harrell um, and, and Zubats as well. I think it's a great fit for the Clippers, um, and I'm really, really excited to watch them going forward. Yeah, and the other thing about the Clippers picking up Morris and why I like that so much is because you're a team led by two guys, Kawhi and PG, who are two of the, I would say, like lower-key, more relaxed kind of superstars, and you just brought some intensity to this team. Yep. It's Morris gets, you know, he's out there, he's talking shit, he's yelling at people, he's getting teed up. But yep. he gets he gets everyone fired up, and he, you know, you have these two guys who are kind of kind of quiet, might not interact as much, and then in sitting out with the load management, and then you have Marcus Morris who's going to play day in day out and and take your best big and and get in their head all night. So. Um, good, good on the the Clippers to to get a guy like that who can really contribute to to a potential championship run. I feel bad for Isaiah Thomas. I mean, the, the dude, the dude. Last time we saw him in action, really was he averaged like twenty eight points a game, and then no one's given him an opportunity yep. since then. Yep, he got cut by the Clippers directly following this move. And you know what? Good, good for the Knicks. They got the first round pick. Yep. They got another second from Detroit, and they got Maurice Harkless, who, yeah, he's another forward type. He's, he's more of a three. So they don't have like eight power forwards on the roster anymore. But he's he's only twenty six. I mean, he's not he's not ever going to be yeah, anything. He's a capable like, player. He's a capable player, and they got some picks. But you know, a twenty six year old is is really more on their timeline than Marcus Morris. And you know what? Marcus Morris, they're not really giving up anything because he's 30 and they just signed him in free agency this year. Right. So, yep. Good for them. And going I, back I, going back to what you said about the, him bringing energy, I, I think now it's like a perfect dynamic in their lineup when they're fully healthy because you have him and Patrick Beverly and then you have Kawhi and PG who are obviously the more laid-back Relax, guys, and I, I think as 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 much of energy as much of uh, you know as much of the energy as Pat Beverly brings, you know I think this Clippers team is still kind of a team that kind of needed that kind of fire under their ass a little bit, 
And I think putting Marcus Morris in there along with a guy like Beverly is really, really, really going to bring that out. So, you know, I think the Clippers are, are just got even more dangerous going forward. So that is pretty much the, the, the major deals from the deadline. I mean, there were a ton of little ones. Um, real quick, I can just go through some. The Sixers gave James Ennis to the Magic for a second-round pick. Um, what else happened? Let's see. The Rockets. Oh, yeah, the Rockets sent Jordan Bell to the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies sent back Bruno Caboclo. Which I like for the Grizzlies. That's another young piece. Yep, absolutely. Um, the Clippers gave Derek Walton to Atlanta for cash. Um, the Warriors traded Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks to the Sixers for three second-round picks in the next three years. Um, the Kings traded Dwayne Dedman to the Hawks. Um, and the Kings, the King, excuse me, the Kings sent Dedman and two second-round picks to the Hawks for Jabari Parker and Alex Len. That's an interesting move considering that they got um, Capella as well. But Dwayne Demons can be a very, very capable backup in that um, in that system. Um, as we I, said, I don't, I don't love I don't love giving away Jabari Parker for the Hawks. Yeah, that, Parker. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I I would agree with you're that. On a lottery ticket. You're sitting on a lottery ticket with Jabari Parker, and I mean he's a guy that he's he very highly touted when he was drafted. And never really lived up to it for the Bucks, but you know, ever since then he's kind of bounced around. But he's shown flashes, and I think that a t- he need. I liked the idea of him getting an opportunity to come up with a with a young core around him and kind of grow and develop with them and and see what he could have become. And you know, not that he can't still become that, but I thought the Hawks yeah. were a great opportunity. Yep, I I. I... A lot of good points. I definitely agree with that. And then the last one I'll, I'll mention here, the Warriors also traded Willie Cauley-Stein to the Mavericks for a second-round pick. So basically the Warriors sold, sold, sold. Um, they're now swimming in draft picks, even if most of them are second-rounders. And that's a, and, um, that's a good that's a good get for Dallas. You know, With Dwight Powell out for the year now, they have another big man like Cauley-Stein who can really clean the glass effectively. Um, a, a big to stick in there. Excuse me, along with along with Kristaps Porzingis, um, catch a ton of lobs from Luka Doncic. Exactly, I mean, that's, that's, his, so, that's his number one thing. Catches lobs. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Dallas, D- Dallas, definitely a, a very sneaky team out there in the West, especially once Doncic comes back and he's healthy and they're playing at full strength. So that is our full NBA trade deadline coverage, um, which took up most of the episode. Uh, so many deals went down in such little time, and with us not being able to record Thursday, um, had to pack it all in. Um, so before we before we go, uh, there was another debut made this weekend. Um, it was made by a new football league. Right? I, I actually I, I shouldn't say new because it because it because it had existed before. Um, the return of a football league. The return of the XFL. Uh, uh, the first games were were this weekend. There were two Saturday, two Sunday. 
Um, and unfortunately, I did not get to watch any of the games because on Saturday there was a uh, there was a Wi-Fi outage, uh, like in the entire area surrounding my school, so I couldn't get any internet. And then Sunday I was, you know, doing a, a million different other things. Ethan, however, did get to see some of the games. I saw plenty of stuff on Twitter and some highlights. So let's get into that real quick. Ethan, what did we see in the XFL? So, Michael, I think we need I think we need a segment here for the XFL moment of the of the week. Love it. So, Absolutely love it. So XFL moment of the week. First weekly annual I don't know what weekly. I guess for that's not as exciting as annual, but weekly. First yes. weekly first weekly seasonal XFL moment of the week was during the night game on Sunday, the Dallas, I think they called it Dallas Renegades. Renegades, Renegades yep. played St. Louis Battlehawks in Dallas at the Rangers' new stadium. Um, so what happened was Marquette King, former All-Pro punter in the NFL for the Raiders, got cut because he would dance after his punts. He is on the St. Louis Battlehawks. And he's absolutely electric. He uh, he hit a boomer earlier in the game. Absolute monster punt. Pat McAfee was in the booth. He was very excited. But our moment of the week came later when Marquette King uh, was on the field to punt again. And he caught it. He punted it. And it was an absolute beauty. He bounced it on about the four. He had hit down at the one. was spinning at about the one-inch line. I'm telling you, like, you could not have placed this ball closer to the goal line. And so it's spinning there. And the returner didn't touch it. And the, the, the punt coverage comes in. And the guy on St. Louis goes to fall on the ball at the one-inch line and knocks the ball into the end zone for a touchback. And... And Pat McAfee absolutely loses his mind in the booth. He says, he's like, what are you doing? That was a perfect punt. And he was going off. And so they come off the field. And and this guy, you know, all the punt, punt guys are sitting on the bench. And McAfee actually comes down and puts the microphone in this guy who tried to fall on the ball. He just puts the microphone in his face and just like, why'd you do that? and and i just love this dynamic in the xfl where they when someone fucks up they just go and they just they're on the bench and they just start interviewing them i love it there's no time to process from the guy they know there's just like shit i just fucked up the microphone's about to be in my face like what do i even say here like like i don't even remember what the guy said when asked why he why he did that i i was laughing too <laughs> i mean it really isn't i mean i i'm not sure what reason you could give um, <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't i don't know what he said but it was it, it must have been entertaining and i you know i'm all for the xfl I'm a, I'm a big football, you know, XFL football fan now. You know, th- this this league has won me over for sure. Yeah, and you and a ton of other people, you know, from everything that I saw, it was a huge success. And honestly, one of the reasons why I think is just people love to watch football. And, you know, they, you know, and now they get to watch more football. 
and it's exactly what people want. So people are going to keep tuning in, and the games are entertaining. You know, I love seeing the tweets from the XFL's Twitter account where it's like, it's a 17-point game, but that's a one-score game. Or, or excuse me, but... Two scores, yeah. yeah. But that's only a two-score game because you can go for three when you score a touchdown, which is absolutely unbelievable. So, you know, the, the rules are just set in place. You know, you know, the NFL's constantly been referred to as the no-fun league. Well, the XFL, we, we got all these rules. You can go for three on a touchdown. You can go for one, two, th- whatever. You know, uh, all, 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 you know the, the kickoffs and punts are designed for more returns. There's no fair catch. Um, the overtime is just a shootout from, like, the 10-yard line. Like, everything, every, all these rules are designed just to have fun. And it, it, it's fun to watch. And when you have a sport that people want to continue to watch and you make it fun in, this, in these ways, there's no doubt in my mind it's going to be a success. And the other thing that I love to see, because I saw a bunch of highlights were some of the hits these guys made. Someone put it on Twitter. You know, it, it, was, it was basically a guy got sandwiched in between two dudes. And someone was like, if you made this hit in the NFL, Goodell would send you to the electric chair. And they're exactly right. Because the guy got clapped in the helmet, turned to the right, and got pounded in the in the helmet again. And, like, if you're in the NFL, you're, like, getting tossed for doing something like that. But not here. Play, life goes on, next play. So it's, it's a fun league to watch. You know, there's no BS like, like there has been in the NFL. And I think it's going to be a huge success going forward. They already sold more tickets in one weekend than the entire AAF season. If you don't remember the American Association of Football, uh, that was an attempt at another league very recently uh, that did not did not yeah. work at all. So, like you said, I haven't I haven't been able to watch an XFL game for yet, but I totally intend to this weekend. I'm excited. Um, I'm I'm all for it as well. I, I love to see a league like this with all these kind of wacky rules and stuff flourishing. The other thing about the XFL is that that I actually found like absolutely captivating is how accessible everything is. They yep. constantly have the referees are all mic'd up so you can you can hear the discussions going on. You can uh you the, the coaches and coordinators are are mic'd up to the to the booth so they can they can, you know, do that. And I think for the casual football fan it's it's very it's it's can be educational actually in terms of the game of football because yeah, you, can, you can hear the play calls coming in and some of the terminology that a lot of a lot of casual fans might not know it they're explaining it from like from the play call that is that the audio is coming in on from from the offensive coordinator to the booth, to the announcers explaining, okay, like here's what Z post means, or here's what you know, you know, zone right means, uh, you know, from an offensive standpoint. So it's just, it's so much like more. I feel like it, of an experience for the fan than watching the NFL. So you know, good for the XFL. They nailed it on the head. I think. Yep. Absolutely. Um... And it's also nice to know that the teams mean business because I think the Los Angeles whatever already fired their defensive coordinator. Um, bold move, but you know, it shows that these guys aren't, aren't messing around. And the other thing that they do that I love is they have the betting lines on screen along with the over/under, 
and the announcers will openly discuss like the 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 gambling aspect of it, which is really really cool. Um, so with that, uh, there's our quick little XFL wrap up. As he as Ethan mentioned, we will now have a uh, probably every Tuesday because obviously we can't do one Thursday because there's not any games. But every Tuesday we'll have a little XFL moment of the week, um, and we'll obviously continue to keep everybody updated on that. Um, and uh, one one more thing. Speaking of absolutely. the XFL of the week, I I just like to apologize to the people because we haven't been giving any Antonio Brown updates. Yes, and we have. I know. I thought about that. Um, yes, we have slacked off, but in our defense, there hasn't been too much. There hasn't been much, much news, really. I mean, the last, the last I saw, he appeared in court wearing an anti-suicide smock, which, which which sounds extreme, but it's, it's pretty standard, standard issue for, for inmates. My, uh, yeah. And another, this was a while ago, but when he was arrested, and he got out of jail. He he like he he was leaving jail, leaving the courthouse, whatever. And of course, there's paparazzi surrounding, whatever. And he walks, starts walking down the sidewalk, realizes that he's going the wrong way, has to turn around and walk right into a sea of reporters and cameras, which I think was just absolute comedy. Um, you know, pretty pretty much did a fake, you know, stop and go, and then turn back around. And just got absolutely tackled at the five yard line, um, so that was that was very Antonio Brown. So yes, we'll we'll have you updated on the XFL. We'll can we'll, we will do our best to get you more Antonio Brown updates. We 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 definitely slacked off there. That is on both of us. Um, so with that, that is going to wrap up episode number nine. We'll hit our first milestone later this week with our tenth episode. Um, we'll have whatever, whatever goes down in the next few days and you know, maybe, may, may, maybe incorporate another draft. Maybe, you know, we'll, 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 excuse me. We'll see, we'll see what transpires. That's the word I was looking for. We'll see what transpires in the next few days. So on behalf of my good friend and co-host Ethan Looper, my name is Michael Murray, and this has been the Sports Forum. Thank you.